0: Jedi Council is a podcast for entertainment and informational purposes only. It should not be used in place for, of advice from a mental health or medical professional. If you're struggling with mental health issues, please seek professional help. Hey folks, welcome back to the next episode of the Jedi Council podcast. We like to explore mental health characters characters. This is your Wisdom Toothless graduate student Jedi Council co-host, Brandon <laughs> Saxton.
1: I don't have my Wisdom Tooth either co-host, Katie Gordon.
0: How are you doing today, Katie?
1: I'm good. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing okay. Uh, as alluded to on my, all of my complaining in previous episodes, and this episode, and on my Instagram, I did have Wisdom Tooth removed and a Rook now on Monday, so uh. not my favorite jaw Weak. yeah <laughs> yeah uh i had a meeting earlier to this and the person running the meeting was like are you gonna be okay because i was just clenching my face oh. uh, but i took a little tylenol so i'm feeling just as right as rain now
1: so. <laughs> well i'm glad i'm glad you're you um you didn't mess with your podcasting instrument too much you need that jaw to talk
0: yeah absolutely i know there was some concern uh with our friend a uh, friend of the show lauren she checked in to ask if uh the surgery would impact the Brandon's Pearls of Wisdom. So oh. there was some concern in the fan base. But
1: well, I appreciate that. Yeah, I do consider too. Consider it.
0: Yeah. How, um, just a, a, a general health uh, update. How's your ankle?
1: doing? <laughs> it's doing better, thanks. Good. I'm glad to
0: hear that. Uh, hopefully we can... Uh,
1: Listeners, I want you to know that the ankle is improving, which you've heard about, and that this is maybe the third episode. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Something
0: like that. So, Well, that's great. Um, So today, well, we're, today we're doing a little bit Something a little bit different, I guess, is the best way to describe it. We're doing, we're mixing it up. We're mixing it up. We're taking, we're taking the the, the Jedi Council rubric and we're throwing it out for today. Yep. Uh, today we're going to do a little bit of a tribute episode to one of our other favorite podcasts called Trends Like These, which I know that we have referenced on our show before, and we've been talking about doing this for a while. And we kind of got caught up on a lot of our backlog topics, and we got caught up with some guests that we wanted to have. So today's the day we're doing it. So we want to emulate their show a little bit by redoing our open from the usual me saying "Hey, folks," so on and so forth, and and maybe try something a little different, which we didn't practice or rehearse in any way. So we'll which
1: will soon be evident. Which (laughs) will soon be
0: evident. But I think we're just gonna gonna give it a try. So here's our new. Uh, trends like these Jedi Council opening.
1: Proposed IQ duel, TV shows in high school, dialectical behavior therapy as a tool, happy tweets when weather is cool.
0: This is Brandon Saxton.
1: And Katie Gordon.
0: And I'm a Jedi Padawan. <laughs> See, I, we're not as good at it, but I want to give it a try. I gave it an honest effort. And uh, and this is the Jedi Council podcast. So, uh Yeah. That's kind of their format, and I love it. So you're exceptional at rhymes. You came up with all of those rhymes on like records.
1: I listened to a lot of hip hop. I think that helped.
0: Yeah, I believe it. I don't <laughs> listen to it as much, and and it, it shows. I suffer in the rhyming game, but I am good at just talking in a ridiculous voice and coming up with Jedi on, So
1: and that's important because that is not my strength.
0: Oh sure. So <laughs> uh, like always, the Jedi Council Dream Team. Uh, you know. Strikes again, That's so right. it's perfect, uh, so yes, today, uh as evidenced by our well just blatantly saying it and by redoing our open <laughs> to emulate theirs, we're doing a trends like these uh tribute episode um so basically i'm gonna i'm i'm gonna let's talk about trends like these at first and maybe tell folks about it who haven't heard of it, so trends like these i'm gonna i'm to start, I'm just gonna read their description right off of the website, okay, so trends like these is a weekly roundup of what's trending on Facebook, Twitter, and all over the internet. We'll prepare you to chat, to chat around the water cooler about celeb Twitter beefs, mysteriously colored dresses, flat earth, Starbucks cups, and so much more. We'll dig past the easily shareable headlines and try to get to the real story. Brought to you every Thursday by Travis McElroy and Brent Black. We're real-life friends talking about internet trends. Even there, they've got their rhyming. It's, it's true. awesome. So, as they said uh, better than I ever could... Trends Like These is a show every week. It's a new show where they really get on whatever the trending headlines are for that week, and they really dig into them and, and really, it seems like, try to learn or read almost as much as they possibly can in the amount of time that they have. From
1: a wide variety of point of views and perspectives and the news sources. That's a
0: great point. So they're always very open about where they are in their own sort of beliefs or what their opinion is, but they do try to offer many opinions, but while acknowledging their own bias on the story. Yeah. And uh, I did, I don't know if I mentioned this yet, but trends like these is a part of the Max Fun podcast network. So if you're interested in checking out the show, you can find them at MaxFun.com, and I can't recommend it enough. Uh, every I, I almost never miss an episode because. As someone who tries to sort of stay informed on things, I really like uh, how they sort of break down all the training news, and I really like the way that they're so thorough and how they describe the stories, because there's been more than a few times where they've covered a story that I feel like I, to- I kind of understand, but they cover an angle or a piece of it that I missed.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. This is the podcast that as soon as it pops up on my phone, if I can, I listen to it immediately. Often they're released on Friday, and so that is... Friday evening. That is my cool Friday night activity (laughs) is listening to trends like these or whenever it comes out. And I, you're the one who recommended this show to me. I like some of the Uh other McElroy podcasts, Uh Adventure Zone, My Brother, My Brother Uh and Me. Um, And so this, this was a great one. I try to keep up with the news too. I really also think fact checking is important Uh and looking at beyond the headlines, which is what they do to critically evaluate what news sources say and really get to the bottom of it. And so the way they do that, and then how they have discussion about the topics is really, I find really um, engaging. And like you said, it it gives me new ways to think about topics.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, like you kind of mentioned, we're both huge fans of the show. So we wanted to do this episode as kind of a tribute episode to trends like these, kind of our way of just saying thank you to Brent and Travis for being Really, just really amazing and dedicated to their podcast and to their audience, and really to uh, kind of rooting out uh, past those headlines and getting the truth out there, which is something I think is really admirable. And there's certainly some, there's certainly podcasters that I look up to and, uh, you know, would like to emulate in my own level of professionalism and quality.
1: I agree. They're super high quality content. They're also very funny. They also have a way of advocating and raising awareness. Mm -hmm. For important issues, and I appreciate that they put themselves out there and There have been a handful of episodes that have particularly struck me about difficult topics, and they discuss them in a way that is so nuanced and it's it's really impressive and it's nice to hear the stories beyond just what the headline reads
0: yeah, absolutely so one thing to note uh that I think adds to what's so impressive about what they do. Uh, is that they both spend, uh, reportedly, about 20 hours a week preparing for each podcast episode. And their podcast episode usually clocks in about 90 minutes, I think is about right, give or take a half hour. Um, And I I just think that's incredible. Uh, Today, Katie and I are going to cover four stories. These uh, stories are a little bit varied in nature, but they are somewhat trending, I think, at least within the last couple weeks. Uh, Stories that involve psychology as a component. And right off the bat, I would like to note that we did not spend 20 hours sort of researching and getting in, um, just because we we don't have that full-time podcast gig yet, but but we'll get there. But yeah, so we both have two stories, are two stories each, to be clear, four stories total. We're going to break them down, um, not to the level of detail or depth that you might expect on trends like these, but we'll just do our best, because that's all we can do.
1: This is our fan art yeah. For Brent and Travis. That's
0: a really good way of looking at it. It's not quite the original. I can't
1: thing. draw too good <laughs> too well, so <laughs> so this is kind of <laughs> but we can podcast. So we can podcast. That's that's the way we can show our appreciation. As
0: people trained in instruction and therapy we we both know how to speak that's true yes so. and so we we do that a lot it lends itself well to podcasting i was yeah. if i can go back to the root canal just a second longer <laughs> i was joking with my dentist during the procedure we were actually talking a lot more than i expected uh about how how dependent my life was on my ability mm-hmm. to speak with so many of my obligations mm-hmm. and not being able to for a couple of days was not great anyway I don't know what I mean. I guess we were talking about talking.
1: Yeah, no, we need we need you to protect that, we that voice. We have
0: to. <laughs> get it insured.
1: Exactly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. Uh, that's sort of my spiel on trends like these. Uh, we'll t- link to it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Huge fans of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, can't recommend it enough if you're at all interested or want to become interested because sometimes it's overwhelming. There's a lot of news that happens. This is a great jumping off point. They'll do the work for mm-hmm. you. You don't even need to open up like a news website no, you just can passively listen You the just information just listen goes in, like, into the ears. <laughs> if that's all you did, you would be very informed, mm-hmm. I think, because that's how in-depth they go. So anything else to say about trends like these, Katie, before we dive into our first story?
1: There's one important component that we forgot. Bev's like these. (laughs) That's right.
0: So they start every episode uh, with a hilarious rhyme and then introducing a third silly podcast co-host. And then they always talk about what they're drinking. And uh, par for the course for me and just kind of how my week is going, I forgot a beverage so you were kind enough to supply me with one so i could participate in the bev's like these segment
1: so what are you drinking today brandon
0: i am drinking a La Croix. <laughs> i mean i know we talked about this and then i talked about how my friend pronounces it differently lacroix yes. water yes the flavor i can't quite read but it's really good <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's um since I supplied it I can tell you it's blackberry cucumber
0: oh I mean I mean that's clearly written oh. off, so I, I guess I was trying to read it oh this you said. were
1: trying to read yeah I don't know what some of the other sure. ones say so I follow
0: so I'm a, a lacroix noob as we can as I'm you're clearly seeing firsthand but that's what I'm drinking
1: so avid trends like these listeners like ourselves may have noticed that, that Brent feels that LaCroix is kind of an overhyped mm-hmm. seltzer, I would mm-hmm. characterize it that. That much of the flavor, like the blackberry cucumber that we're tasting mm-hmm. now, is kind of like an expectancy or maybe even a suggestibility effect that if we had a taste test and I poured regular old seltzer in one cup, and say pamplemousse, another favorite Ooh. flavor of LaCroix, into another one and didn't tell you which was which that you might not notice any difference. Now, I haven't prepared for that type of study on this one.
0: We should actually do that on the air. Like, I don't know how we'll ever tie that into another <laughs> mental health uh, sort of topic. Maybe, I w- so this is one of my classic things where I always sort of, pitch ideas to you on there, but I was reading a lot about confirmation bias the other day and mm-hmm. thinking it would be worth doing an oh, episode yeah. about confirmation bias because I think it's really prevalent in how people sometimes consume the news. We could maybe do something related to expectancy effects and the LaCroix water test on air.
1: If we conduct that study, we will report the results to Brent and Travis. And publish it. Yeah. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> There's a high demand for that kind of research.
0: <laughs> okay, so anyway, Bev's like Lee's Thank you, Katie, for supplying it so I could participate uh in and not just report that I was drinking I was drinking a really nice peach herbal tea before I came
1: Oh, on. that is nice.
0: Yeah, it was really good. My office smelled great. Yeah.
1: That's good.
0: Okay, so we're just gonna alternate back and forth with our trending stories. Katie, do you want to start us off?
1: Yes, I will start off with proposed IQ duel. <laughs> and so those of you who are paying attention to the news may have seen that there is a trending story where president trump challenged um tillerson to i compare iq yep. scores is ba- is essentially what he did and the reason that that whole that whole thing came about briefly is because um what had happened is that there was a news reports that tillerson had called trump a moron behind his back and so um Trump responded by saying, I think it's fake news. He told the magazine of Tillerson's Moron Remark. This is coming from The Hill as a source. But if he did that, I guess we'll have to compare IQ tests and I can tell you who is going to win. So that's what he said. And then after he said that it was trending on Twitter and people were doing a trend called Trump IQ songs Mm -hmm. where they were changing songs to reflect intelligence and then... Mensa, which is an organization for people who are in the top two percent of intellect according to standardized tests um offered to host an i q test for Trump and Tillerson so that's the story. Did I miss any key details before getting into it?
0: Nope, not at all. I think you covered it perfectly,
1: okay, so since we have backgrounds in clinical psychology, I wanted to unpack this story a bit from a psychologist mm-hmm. perspective so Let's start off with the term moron and where it mm-hmm. came from. So I think we know what that means now, that it usually means yep. someone isn't that bright or they're not understanding something or whatever it is. Well the the term originally was used long ago by someone named Goddard, and his goal was in, in part of intelligence testing was to identify people who were in the lower range of intelligence, which he called feeble minded at the time, and he had different classifications depending on the level of intelligence they were scoring on these tests that mm-hmm. were supposed to measure intelligence. So some of the classifications included moron, idiot, and imbecile, which now we know those terms are used as insults. Mm-hmm. At the time, you know, they are they were certainly used to characterize people lower on a level of functioning, but they weren't designed to insult people but not, not, you know not really mm-hmm. like
0: they are today is kind of what right, saying, right right yeah they, they had be, a
1: different sure. meaning but part of because they were using as insults is part of why this has shifted sure. and in a more recent time um that that label for people who are lower in intellectual functioning has shifted. For example, mental retardation was mm-hmm. used with the idea that literally the mental abilities were slower as compared to, mm-hmm. to same age peers. So it was meant to be descriptive, but then people started using that as a way to insult people too. And so um, the way that this culminated leading up to modern times is that Rosa, who was a nine-year-old who was a nine-year-old girl in 2010, basically was requesting that the term, quote-unquote, mentally retarded would be officially removed from health and education codes in her home state of Maryland. So again, she was a young girl with Down syndrome, and she felt that using that language was having a negative impact Uh on people and stigmatizing individuals who have intellectual disabilities. And so she requested that change to the more descriptive intellectual disability which is not like the other terms used as frequently as an insult right right? you don't really hear people using that term and so um in 2010 obama signed into law rosa's law after that young girl and said um and i'm just going to read part of what he said because i think it's one this is from a a speech when he was doing it It says rosa marcelino it's so inspiring to have her here as one of hundreds of thousands of americans with down syndrome Rosa worked with her parents and her siblings to have the words mentally retarded officially removed from the health and education code in her home state of Maryland. Now Rosa's law takes her idea a step further. It amends the language in all federal health, education, and labor laws to remove that same phrase and instead refer to Americans living with an intellectual disability. Now this may seem to some people like a minor change, but I think Rosa's brother Nick put it best. Where's Nick? Right there, Nick. I don't have to read it verbatim, but that's what he did. Then they laugh. Just like you did. I'm I really, did. I'm really... <laughs> I was <prepared. laughs> But I want everybody to hear Nick's wisdom here. He said, what you call people is how you treat them. If we change the words, maybe it will be the start of a new attitude towards people with disabilities. And then Obama said, that's a lot of wisdom from Nick. And and I so I think that really shows... The power of advocacy and looking at terms that were used and how it's been used throughout time and, and indeed right moron is still being used and Trump is interpreting it as as a slight against him mm-hmm. and his intelligence right. Okay, so that's a history of more on, in a very brief history, just oh, because wait. I don't want to... At some point, we may do, if people are interested in an episode or a series of episodes that focuses more on intelligence tests, but I wanted to really focus on this story that's today. True.
0: We're not good at doing this rapid-fire We're used to exploring the ideas all around, They have
1: to listen to more trends like these we and learn how up they the do skills. that. It's yeah. true, because I'm always afraid of leaving anything out, but then you have a nine-hour podcast. Right. Um. Okay, so... Taking a step back, let's talk about what IQ means because mm-hmm. that is what Trump uses quote challenging and it um tillerson to an IQ test. It stands for intelligent quotient, which are numbers that you yield from doing intelligence tests with people. And essentially what they do is intelligence has been defined a number of ways, and again, that's a broader topic. But often when people are talking about IQ, they're talking about intelligence that is most relevant to school success Mm -hmm. and how that individual is going to do in school. And that's by design, because originally Binet designed the IQ test or an intelligence test so that you could identify which students would benefit from extra or special Mm -hmm. education. And that was the true meaning behind it. It It's like, let's look for people who their mental ability suggests that they would benefit from additional instruction. And, of course, it's been used more widely than that. Mm -hmm. And some people have used intelligence and IQ tests to promote eugenics or to argue inherent racial superiority or differences between people. And a lot of that is taking the IQ very much out of context from what Binet intended. But there were early people involved in studying intelligence that talked about things like eugenics. And so that's why there is a lot of con- controversy around intelligence. So I want to acknowledge that history, even though we're not going into a ton of it now.
0: But oh, will Yeah. We will. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But I will say that um, now the way that IQ tests are appropriately used, because they do have functions, are in terms of educational placement, they can still be helpful in being able to tell do people need different services. They can help you to identify what the diagnostic issue is. For example, if someone's not performing well in school and you're trying to figure out, is it depression? Is it a learning issue? What is it? Having an IQ test can help you to kind of rule out and rule in different possibilities. So it can be very helpful in that. IQ tests are predictive of of things to a certain level at a group level, broadly predictive of things like school success and other successful aspects of life. But what's really important to point out is that it's often when people are talking about IQs, it can be reductionistic when really there are multiple factors that determine Mm -hmm. the life course of someone. So knowing someone's IQ isn't going to tell you, I know for this individual how their life is going to turn out. What you can tell is on average people who have these scores tend to have these outcomes, but it's in combination with a lot of other factors. Intelligence is only one of them. So in addition, things like... um, you know, having social competence, the ability to interact well with others, having good problem-solving skills. Some of this is reflected in the IQ test, but some of it falls outside of those areas. Having perseverance, being moral and kind. All of these things go into the picture, and uh, to reduce people to an IQ mm. is is really not the way that this was intended, and I view it as a misuse. I mean, even when we use it in diagnostic purposes, always it's delivered in the context of this is one factor about yeah. someone.
0: Yeah, this is one piece of data that we have among all of our assessments.
1: Exactly, and so it's important. I So it, if I had to sum it up very briefly, I would say that intelligence tests do have uses. They have mm-hmm. been misused, and that's mm-hmm. why it's important to remember the context. Um, they are administered in standardized ways. That's a big mm-hmm. part of it because the way that intelligence tests or IQ scores are figured out, is you measure the person's intellect. And actually, I want to take from the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders how they define intellect under the intellectual disability part, just so we know what we're talking about. Intellectual functionings include things like reasoning, problem-solving, planning, abstract thinking, judgment, academic learning, learning from experience, and this is looked at through both um, standardized intelligence testing and clinical assessment. Mm-hmm. So they encourage a broad context. And then they also require that you look at adaptive functioning. So, boiling it down to just IQ, basically, it compares. You compare, if someone is 10, you look and say how many they got right of the answers compared to other 10 year olds. And you can place their IQ as determined, you know, was their IQ higher than. Ninety-eight. Did they have more questions answered correctly than 98% of their peers? Well, mm-hmm. they're going to score on the higher IQ range. Or is it the opposite, that they, they got um 70% wrong as mm-hmm. compared to same-age peers, and then they would have a lower IQ? And so that's where intelligence tests are. So that is a very brief treatment of oh. a complex phenomena and a long history. But in conclusion, having an IQ competition... I don't know that it will tell you. I mean, I understand. I don't want to take it too literally. I think that there mm-hmm. are some back and forth about those things, but this is not one of. Th- I'll just say this: that's not what the test was intended for, and may not be its best use.
0: Yeah, it's not. A, it's not so much a trivia match or a knowledge bowl or yeah. something like that, where you're you're kind of going hit for hit to right, see who's right. going to get it all right. That's
1: in fact, you, if you're at someone's administering an IQ test as like that, where two people are in the room and they're oh, yeah. answering questions, that's. That's not valid. It would be,
0: yes, thank and you. And I'm okay. not saying it Mensa was invalid.
1: suggesting that. That's what the headline suggests, because oh, yeah. Mensa knows that that's not how IQ test or administer. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So.
0: I wanted to go back to a point you mm-hmm. made about how, well, I think this is a trend, actually, where we take things like an IQ score, and, and we kind of, how do we have such a tendency to try to make... I don't know, to to make things seem simpler than they are? IQ is such a complicated thing and we sort of simplify it and at the same time, like, broaden it, the implications of it. I notice that we as, just as humans, we seem to have a tendency to do that, don't we?
1: Yeah, you know, the best way that I can remember learning about it is that we, humans take a lot of cognitive shortcuts mm-hmm. because we're trying to reserve our mental resources mm-hmm. and other resources, but that and that can be helpful in some ways mm-hmm. to make quick decisions but in others it's difficult and certainly when you're talking about having headlines that draw people in mm-hmm. or really quick interesting stories they're not as interested about like let me explain the multivariate factors and the you know what i mean mm-hmm. like that's 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 hard to keep that's up with, with even if you mm-hmm. are interested mm-hmm. in it you know yeah
0: absolutely it's really interesting isn't it that's where it sort of gets important even and this kind of almost loops back to some stuff related to like to to confirmation biases Mm -hmm. and things like that and just like sort of thinking about the way you think sometimes because we are all susceptible to taking mental shortcuts or making conclusions that maybe there isn't data to support. So yeah, it's it's important to sometimes take a step back when you're consuming those headlines like that and and just think about the way you're thinking about it.
1: And from a non from a more personal perspective than a psychologist (laughs) perspective, although I'm always a psychologist, but um, and what I mean by that is that, you know, my, my thinking extends to personal situations, too. K- Katie, I Katie,
0: ha- just, she just took off her psychologist <laughs> hat and put on her normal Katie Gordon <laughs> hat. Just so I know that there isn't always a visual component.
1: Like just, so just thank so you for des- that. describing <laughs> that. Um, so I will say that I have noticed... Observed that when people are arguing, and this is not through an official scientific mm-hmm. capacity, but yep. let's say arguing on Twitter or Facebook right. or sometimes in person, often the thread is that one person says something, and the other person interprets it as the as the first person saying this is the only factor, mm-hmm. so for example, some will say something like um or or the other thing related to this is they interpret it as it means. It applies to everyone. So, mm-hmm. for example, there's, uh, I don't know, I'm going to make something up. This is not real. I'm just using an example. Let's say someone says eating kale every night is good for you mm-hmm. and is and helps you to live a longer lifespan. Then sometimes I notice, and maybe Twitter, because of how short it is, even when it's up to 280 characters, also adds this. Then what you get sometimes, or people will say, That's not true. So my aunt lived till she was 95 and she never had kale or whatever. So there's kind of like this idea that you're giving a general principle and and people argue back with single anecdotes as though, you know, like it's not thinking about it Mm -hmm. in like a more scientific thing. Or secondly, it's like, you're saying that if I eat kale, like, it doesn't matter what else I do. If if I'm smoking, not exercising, whatever it is, it's kind of, like, oversimplifies right. it. And then the argument just goes to a weird place because it's kind of yeah. discussing extremes without any nuance.
0: And, and there's no way to sort of, I don't know what sort of, progress or compromise or even connect when you're kind of, at, when you're so far apart, un- yeah. unflinchingly. yeah. yeah.
1: But That's I get it. It does take more work to think about things in the larger context. I certainly don't do it every single time, but oh, yeah. being aware of it can be helpful.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That was a great first story. Oh, thank you. Do you have anything to add to it before we move on to our second? story? No, I
1: think those are the highlights.
0: And uh, I, I know you already pointed those, but I pointed this out or mentioned it. But I want to say it one more time. Uh, the history of intelligence testing is very long and worthy of m- more in-depth coverage, uh, which we have added to our.
1: And story. it and it. Cause has caused great pain and yes. problematic issues for people that Absolutely. have been affected by it. And it is inspiring to me to see people like Rosa mm-hmm. affect legislation mm-hmm. like that. And I think that through advocacy and people who are activists working for disability rights, we have seen changes in positive directions. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying there's not room for improvement, but if absolutely. we look back through the history, it's inspiring to see the mm-hmm. people who have who have improved situations.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's. I just feel weird moving on already. No, but I, I know. Like I don't want. I
1: know what you mean. I, I don't want to treat it with less gravity than yeah. it deserves. It deserves a yeah. lot. So yeah.
0: If you feel like there's more to the story, you're right, there is, and we're going to come back Mm -hmm. to it. So we will elicit questions when that time comes Mm -hmm. to, because I think there's a lot of misconception about intelligence and intelligent testing as Mm -hmm. well, because of how complicated it is. So any way that we can sort of clarify that or answer people's questions, I think would be great.
1: In the meantime, we can at least link to some uh, resources.
0: That sounds great. What was our second rhyme for our second story? The
1: second rhyme. Do you want me to say all the sure. rhymes?
0: <laughs> I, I liked that.
1: TV shows in oh, high yeah. school.
0: TV shows in high school. So this is a story that I sort of feel like is a little bit shallow compared to the one that in the depth that you discovered here. But that's okay. We're just new to the trends like these formats. So um, the, the article was titled, This is Why Adults Are Obsessed with Teen TV Dramas According to Psychology. Does anything jump out at you about that title, Katie?
1: Yes, the obsessed part, and actually, the the thing that I thought was interesting is that one of the articles that I was reading today by a scientist who has expertise in intelligence was taught used the term obsessed to that about like what um, sometimes people get obsessed with. Uh, in- intelligence tests. And so I'm oh, glad you brought that, that word up and what it means in a clinical level versus kind of like a more general use. Yeah,
0: like a lot of things that we've talked about, um, obsessed is one of those words that's definitely thrown around, isn't it? I don't know if that dawned on me, and I'm, I try to be very cognizant of that, and when we cover specific disorders, I try to make sure to bring that up. I'm not sure that we brought it up for our OCD episode, which was so... We tried to cover so much in that. so But talking about Obsessed and how they get sort of thrown around was, I, I think, important. And I guess we're catching it now. So that's one thing. Also, the according to psychology. I thought that yeah. was interesting, too. What does that mean? to, to If you hear that, does that... What is the implication of that? That's what I wonder.
1: I don't know because it feels like there's one field. So I'm interested <laughs> to, to hear what that
0: means. Uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit more about it. So uh, the story really outlined why adults are so fascinated and captivated by teen drama shows. So these are shows like Riverdale, uh, which I've seen one episode of, or Gossip Girl. Or just these sort shows of like shows like these that are uh, traditionally very dramatic. Uh, they consisted of teen lives. They're fictional in nature. Um, I think... Uh, there's one i think about werewolves or something true blood i think that's what it's called that might be about vampires i don't know i've never watched it but i know it's very popular
1: there is a werewolf in it if i'm remembering oh okay correctly. perfect
0: so that fits within or that
1: shape shifter at least that takes the form of a wolf
0: terrifying <laughs> too, too scary for me so um maybe to kind of start things off katie do you have any guilty pleasure shows like this do you do you watch teen dramas um i've these don't jump out as things that I recognize that you watch. No, I, I watched Glee
1: when it was on, but I think that was mostly for the music.
0: Yeah, I don't know. Does that fall under the teen drama love well, of shows? I don't know either. It's
1: a high school. It was it definitely dramatic.
0: <laughs> yeah, now that you say that, I did watch the first few seasons for sure. And if, uh, let's see here, Glee, what is the genre of Glee? Musical comedy drama television series. So sure, I'll buy that. Um, I'd watched Glee as well and uh, the the show kind of got me thinking about these so what I thought was interesting and you can check out the the article too it was on instyle.com um, it's it features a variety of quotes so the author of the article Jane Asher she starts off just kind of saying look we've got these shows people really seem to be into them we're not exactly sure why and so she includes a variety of quotes from a variety of people. And I want to quickly go through the list of people Uh, in each one has one quote that sort of it's organized like a quote within a paragraph and then a quote within a paragraph and moves on. So she quotes um, the InStyle beauty editor, the InStyle assistant digital editor, the senior multimedia editor at InStyle and the beauty writer at InStyle. And then a quote from an assistant professor in race media and communication. And then a quote from a psychologist who specializes uh, in organizational psychology. Hmm. So those are the people who kind of comprise this article. And what's interesting to me about that is everyone in that list clearly has their own uh, domain of knowledge and their own expertise. But I thought it's so interesting that they're all given about equal time in the article, but the article is titled According to Psychology. Uh, I don't know. That sound weird with me. And I think that uh, that's something that people do. I think that saying that things are according to psychology is... I don't know if clickbait is the right word, but it certainly makes a compelling headline because I think the implication for me when I see something that says according to psychology suggests in my mind that there's some data to suggest that this is why adults are so interested and captivated at v drama. Not as much that we have some speculation from a variety of different professionals or folks who have their own uh, opinions and expertise. And it all kind of sums up by being... Build as being according to psychology that that I mean and basically the article boils it down, down to feeling like feeling a little bit nostalgic for high school and escaping from your everyday life and so I thought that was really an interesting article uh, and it got me thinking about you know uh, obsess of course we did our episode on uh, obsessive compulsive disorders and obsessions are really. Uh, I mean, there, it's a clinical term and it's something that's really impairing that people uh, deal with. Uh, that includes intrusive thoughts about things that they might not want to think about or things that feel irrational to them. And then also just the billing something as being according to psychology. That felt weird to me. Yeah. Yeah.
1: No, I agree. And I think that that's exactly where the headline feels a misleading. Yeah. You know, and, and why it's important to, like you said, like trace it to what are the actual sources for yeah. this. And this... This is the kind of story where I think it shows how appealing this is, because most of us can Mm -hmm. say, yeah, that's exactly why people do Mm -hmm. this behavior. But we don't know that, right? That's one thing that's very humbling about psychology is the things that you expect. Sometimes you find out that's not Mm -hmm. the way that the data show you. Mm -hmm. They are. And so it's important to actually test that and be careful Mm -hmm. about claims. Headlines have you know, the desired effect of getting clicks and people interested. Mm-hmm. So it's understandable that that's why they do things that way. But as a reader, it's important to critically evaluate, like you just said, and look at what, who is actually saying mm-hmm. this and what are the sources involved.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And as someone who, you know, is being trained in psychology and, and you know, aspires to belong to that field, to, you know, have that paired off like that. And I'm kind of, I'm going back to the word obsessed. I have obsessed used in what I would define as a little bit of an inappropriate way or maybe a little bit insensitive and to have that linked in with according to psychology in the same headline was particularly troubling to me yeah Yeah, that sort of pairing um so yeah that i don't have a ton more to say about that but i just thought that was interesting to build something as according to psychology uh when really i mean you know what they say very well could be true we don't know but yeah so it just sort of felt like a classic headline that really sold something. But when I dug in and looked up, there was one psychologist quoted and I I looked into that psychologist's expertise and, you know, maybe they did some previous research related, but organizational psychology, of course, is maybe not quite as related to media consumption or things like that. And and you're right, a lot of the conclusions sort of felt like we've talked about uh, Barnum's statements before. I think it's common for a lot of people to sort of want to escape things or like, you know, go home and that maybe that's a reason why anyone watches TV for any reason is to sort of have a little escapism for a while. So yeah, I just thought that was an interesting headline uh, for an article that I thought sold a product that it didn't deliver.
1: I really like articles that click to the data or at least mm-hmm. explain if this person is the expert, why, mm-hmm. like what their opinion is based mm-hmm. on. And so like you're saying, those things might've been there, but it wasn't apparent from the article. Right.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It, it was really hard to say. So um, just an interesting article, I thought, uh, it caught my eye with the according to psychology. That's, uh, mm-hmm. that's. Uh, I mean, that's a strong statement to me to to say that according to an entire field of study in science this is happening but there was no science or real reference to why that might be in the article Mm -hmm. yeah so that's my second or i guess the second article my first article
1: that is a very interesting one i like that thanks for pointing that out because i do i feel like one of the reasons i do like trends like these is because it it gives good ideas about how to keep looking to see beyond you know what you see and, and kind of how to critically evaluate it. So that's a valuable tool, especially, as we talked about, there's just access to so much information on the internet and mm-hmm. through other sources that knowing how to dig a little bit deeper yeah. is very valuable.
0: And it wasn't hard. Uh, you know, the every, there's there was names included. I, it was very easy for me to dig in and, and identify very quickly who these folks were and what their expertise or professions were. So, um, I mean, at the end of the day, when I was all done with Oracle, I... I, as someone with some training and psychological research, really didn't feel compelled to say that. No, your your conclusions. I don't feel comfortable agreeing that they are according to psychology. Yes. Yeah. So, Very well good. put. Dig pass the headlines.
1: Well, the the next story that I have is dialectical behavior therapy as a tool, and so there was some there was some trending news about Pete Davidson who is one of the cast members of Saturday Night Live, and he opened up about the fact that he had been diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, and he also had some other mental health struggles that he had talked about that he was in treatment for. So he also reported that he had suffered from depression, that he had times where he smoked marijuana daily, and he felt that that had some impact on his mental health. And he described... This, one, I think it's great that he's being open about his mental health. I think that can really help reduce stigma for people. It also shows that even someone who kind of, like, he's a comedian, he's in his early 20s, he's on Saturday Night Live. And I think with Saturday Night Live, we know this, but other things too, is that that doesn't necessarily mean you're immune from mental health issues. And in his case, he really went into detail on the podcast, uh, Mark Maron's, WTF podcast Mm -hmm. and talked about some of the factors that went into it. And so he, he said that he tragically lost his dad when he was seven or eight and in September 11th. And so that was really hard. And he linked some of his fear of abandonment, which is a symptom of borderline personality disorder. I'll come back to that, to that experience. He also said that he would have these um, types of experiences in recent times where he would become really stressed out and almost forget what was happening. Like he would call them like a rage or something like that. Not that he was, um, he didn't describe it as, as hurting other people, but just like he kind of not remembering what had just happened and said that that was really bothersome to him. In addition to that, he has a medical condition, Crohn's disease, mm-hmm. which affected him and apparently is better treated now, but took about three years before he was treated. Uh, he, I think he got was diagnosed with that when he was 16 or 17, and it took a while to get on a medication regimen. So he, had, uh, he has had a lot of stressors going mm-hmm. on in his life. And the fact that he was open about that, again, I think that opens the conversation about mental health, which is really good. And I also really appreciated that he named the type of therapy that he's getting. And it's linked to the diagnosis he got, which is dialectical behavior therapy. So that's the basic, the background of the story. He also, I should say, there was a Sardinette Live sketch that is lighthearted. It's comedy, right? So it's, you know, same thing as like, I feel like when I was telling the Trump Tillerson story, like people are saying things back to each other and I don't mean to like, pick it apart like this is the same thing as a dissertation mm-hmm. or something. These are how people converse with each right. other. Similarly, I don't want to pick apart a Saturday Night Live sketch for accuracy. However, a lot of people see that, and so it's a good time to maybe talk about the accuracy of it and kind of open that conversation. So did you happen to see the sketch on Weekend Update? Nope, I okay. didn't.
0: I missed this one.
1: Okay. Well, it, it it's interesting. The humor of it is that he's trying to say that he he has a, a note from his doctor which is <laughs> a little suspicious because the doctor's name is Dr. Pete Davidson's doctor or something oh, like geez. that. Okay. And the doctor's note says that what would really help him with his mental health is if he was given more airtime on Saturday Night Live. So that's the humor. I believe in humor impacting mental health. As we've talked about, mm-hmm. that is a huge, like, go-to for me Absolutely. so anyway i love that but he also said some things and i just want to fact check them right now he says that borderline personality disorder is a form of depression that that's not true mm-hmm. um they are separate things borderline personality disorder as you know even though i'm turning to you because oh, it's our podcast it's <laughs> a natural sort of inclination when there's just
0: one other person nearby
1: <laughs> um It is, so both very serious disorders, but different, and borderline personality disorder often does involve mood disturbance Mm -hmm. and issues with mood, like major depression, but major depression, as we've talked about in other episodes, is mostly characterized by uh, low energy. It can be disturbance in eating, disturbance in sleeping, and a series of those things. We will link to that, but I want to talk about the symptoms of borderline personality disorder because I think that's a little less familiar. So again looking at the diagnostic and statistical manual of mental disorders which is our classification system in um men, in the mental health field that's often used di- borderline personality disorder refers to a pervasive pattern of instability of interpersonal relationships self image and affects or mood states mm-hmm. basically emotions marked marked impulsivity beginning by early adulthood and present in a variety of contexts, as indicated by five or more of nine symptoms. Uh, frantic efforts to avoid real or imagined abandonment. Now, I certainly would... It would be inappropriate for me to offer any diagnostic opinion on Pete Davidson, but I am oh, going to tell you what he told Mark Mirren he experienced and one his mental health professionals' noticed, He did say that when his mom would say she was going to go somewhere, he would be afraid of her leaving and and have some experience of abandonment. So he did identify that. The second one is a pattern of unstable and intense interpersonal relationships where you alternate between thinking people are really great or really horrible. And often this can be within one incident that someone does something. So a lot of extremes. Identity disturbance, when someone feels they have an unstable self-image or sense of self. Impulsivity in at least two areas that are potentially self-damaging, overspending, um, reckless driving, substance abuse, recurrent suicidal behavior, gestures or threats or self mutilating behavior, affective instability, or basically mood reactivity. So it can include intense episodic dysphoria or feeling down, irritable, or anxious, and Pete described himself as basically feeling depressed all the time, which is really sad and painful to hear him say that. Uh, Chronic feelings of emptiness, inappropriate, intense anger, or difficulty controlling anger, and then transient stress-related paranoid ideation or severe dissociative symptoms. I'm not sure if what he was describing was quite to that extent, Mm -hmm. but it it sounded like he was having extreme emotions. So when you have... uh, Um, are dealing with a mental health problem, as we've talked about in the past, there are scientific studies indicating which ones are the most supported by research and clinical trials. And for for this, there are a few different options, but the one with the strongest research support for borderline personality disorder is dialectical behavior therapy. Pete said that he was attending therapy daily, is what he told Mark Marin. And he was finding it helpful, and he did a really nice description of the point of it. And so it's a it's a therapy with a lot of components. I have used dialectical behavior therapy before and seen very positive impacts mm-hmm. on people. But the basic idea of it is that you teach people how to use healthy methods to identify and cope with their emotions. And so it prevents some of the impulsive behavior, some of the relationship damaging behaviors. You're, it, it comes from the idea that that uh, a person who is who is having these strong emotions and impulsivity, the reason that they're doing that is because they're trying to cope with emotional pain and don't have a healthy skill set for dealing with that. So with the support of a therapist and learning these new skills, the idea is that you learn new ways to do that. So some of the things that that he specifically referred to was holding ice or going for a walk or taking a shower, or if you have an urge, waiting 10 minutes to see before you act and or listening to your favorite song. And he said, like, he he felt that at first reading about it, that it seemed a little silly, but that he was happy to say that it actually worked when he was using those things. So I just thought it was great to have exposure about this serious mental health condition that we have treatment for Mm -hmm. and to have someone openly talking about it. And so I appreciated that in the sketch, a couple things I'll just quickly point out. Um, In addition to that is he did, Pete did say that depression affects over 16 million people in the United States, and that is accurate. And um, he also encouraged people that they should consult with mental health professionals for treatment. So again, really appreciated that. And that's about the sum of that story.
0: That's a great story. So is that a clip, having not seen it myself, that you do recommend folks watch?
1: Well, it's it's good for comedic value. There are some accurate things, but I... You can watch it for sure, mm. but there's some there's some. It's the goal of it is not an educational okay. mental health thing. Sure. So like, that's if amazing. you want to watch it to kind of see how he's talking about, that's good. Um, same with and when he was on Mark Maron's podcast, I thought the interview was really good. I really enjoyed listening to it. Mark Maron. He's not a psychologist. He's a great interviewer. He's had his own personal experience. So some of the things that they say are not exact. They're not accurate and mm-hmm. i don't expect them to be right. like i if i'm talking about comedy i'm going to say things that are inaccurate because right. i just don't know the craft as much as i appreciate it from afar so i think it's worth listening to to hear an individual experience but if you want to get more information about it I just clicking on the links that we're going to provide awesome
0: that sounds really good anything else uh, on that story before we move on to our final story no that's all i got Uh, so our last story, uh, rhyme, happy tweets when weather is cool, (laughs) uh, which is, uh, really captures the story actually pretty well. So the second trending news story that I picked, I sort of picked, uh, very specifically because I thought it represented, um, the other side of the spectrum from my first news story, which I felt like claimed that psychology sort of, uh, led to this conclusion when there really wasn't a lot of evidence for that. I think that this, uh, story does a lot better job. So... This was a story, that the title of the article is, Billion Tweet Study Proves We Write Happier Messages When the Weather is Good. Well, one point of contention, I'm, I'm nervous about using the word proves, yeah. <laughs> which I'm sure you caught on to as well, because data suggests or there's data to support. We, we can
1: only corroborate
0: yes, we, <laughs> or falsify. Uh, as psychologists, we're hesitant to uh, to use that sort of strong language, and as good scientists. Um, so and that's
1: the, And that's basically because... Uh, science thrives on things like replication and there are other chance factors we can't completely eliminate even in the best studies.
0: Absolutely. Through the history of science, there's probably been a number of things that folks claimed were proved uh, that were not. So yes, it's sort of a self-correcting enterprise. And so you've summed it up. But yeah, other than that, I think this is a much better article. That was my only gripe. Was proofs. This was an article written by the Folks in Emerging Technology on the MIT Technology Review website. So really what it does is the article covers a study that was done by Patrick Bayliss and some of his colleagues over at Stanford University. And I thought this was an awesome study. Uh, As someone who used to dabble in uh, research looking at the influence of emotion, I'm always interested in emotions and what influences do emotions have on our life around us. And by what things are are our emotions influenced... And as it turns out, their status suggests that the weather is one of these things. And not only was that interesting to me, but also the design I thought was very, uh, very creative. And and I think that uh, I I think folks will as well. So basically what they did was they assessed 3.5 billion tweets. Uh, These were tweets that came from 75 major cities. Uh, And these were tweets that, uh, oh shoot, I don't have the exact, they came from a stretch of a number of years that they identified in the article. I didn't write it down, but it is available on the website. And basically what they did was they sort of assumed that a positive or a negative expression in the tweet served as an analog for whether or not the person was experiencing a good or a bad mood, respectively. Uh, That was kind of their research analog. And what they did was they coded all 3.5 billion tweets. Which is incredible. That's a a massive amount Mm -hmm. of data. It's hard for most people, myself included, to even conceptualize the number billion. Uh, So to 3.5 billion tweets is... I mean, that's a lot of data. So anyway, what they wanted to do was see whether or not that positive or negative expressions in the tweet, whether or not they were associated with the meteorological data that was available from that date. And basically, in sum, what they found was, I'm going to read the quote exactly, "...we find substantial evidence that less ideal weather conditions relate to worsened sentiment." To the extent that the sentiment of expression serves as a valid proxy for underlying emotions, we find some observational evidence that weather may be weather may functionally alter human emotional states. So, digging out a little deeper, what they found was that folks were more likely to po- post or tweet negative things uh, when it was too cold, too hot, too wet, too humid, or cloudy. Hmm. Um, and that was just fascinating to me. And to test this, they even checked it. Uh, against events like natural disasters or terrorist attacks, which are also associated with negative uh t- expressions of tweets, and the weather was like on par with impact uh w- along with events wow. like that, yeah, which was fascinating to me that was kind of their their check for that so really I thought that was really interesting to to read an article that sort of described that, and really interesting to me kind of that design so many tweets and to look at how impactful apparently the weather is certainly uh with our um Daily expression of our emotions uh, via tweets. So, of course, there's some questions too. Uh, do expressions of tweets really sort of, are those uh, an accurate analog to mood? I don't know. I, I mean, the, that's the case that the researchers make. And I don't know. I would like to read the article directly to sort of look and, and kind of puzzle over that because I think a tweet can be pretty fleeting. That's kind of my yeah. impression of it. So I don't know if it's a perfect capture of the mood for the day. Well, another thing I wonder about is whether patterns change throughout the day. So that's another question I had. I don't know if they went. It seems based on this article that it was kind of the weather of the day not so much maybe the hour or time of the tweet, so that's something I said. And, of course, these 75 cities, from my understanding of the the article I read, they were sort of um, major... Urban areas. And I wonder about um, maybe uh, diversifying that and maybe the impact is differing in and, and more rural areas. Uh, of course, then you run into the problem that maybe not everyone is on Twitter in rural areas. But of course, uh, that's just me being a little bit nitpicky. This is still a really interesting study.
1: No, I, but that's important. I mean, it's kind of like we were talking about before, the talking about what it tells us and what it doesn't tell mm-hmm. us, and how these other questions are really important and limitations of all research methodology, right? Because there is something. You know, it's not like they're being asked their mood and asking what the weather is or something. It's like whether or not they tweeted, and mm-hmm. so someone's mood could very well be impacted by the weather, and they didn't tweet
0: about it. That's right? a really good yeah. point, yeah, because you're you're missing a lot of data. In that yeah. Way too. So
1: I think it's it's super interesting, and you know, kind of in a larger program, looking at that, I'd yes. be interested to see how well, it comes out.
0: Another part I was a little mm-hmm. hesitant about too was at the end they sort of speculate about potential uh, implications for intervention. And I'm just not quite sure there's a lot there when we're thinking about intervention. Uh, I think, I think that's a pretty tall order. Uh, and I'm not sure I'm, I'm totally bought into the ideas that, uh, analog measures of mood related to expressions and tweets that vary as a count of the weather really based on just what we know and understand now lend themselves that much to, uh, changing intervention but mm-hmm. that was just my own yeah. my kind of me just puzzling over what does this mean mm-hmm.
1: yeah yeah that's a good point
0: but all in all a much better and more accurate representation of uh really a study and backing up the claim that was in the headline with data and they actually included the graphs from the study that showed the sort of the correlation between mood and weather and and it was kind of cool how they broke down those graphs so i thought this was a really good sort of other side of the coin from the first article I presented. Yeah, well, that's kind of all I have to yeah, say. Yeah,
1: very it. interesting. I, at a subjective level, certainly feel my mood is better when the weather's nice. Like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> very much so. So I, it's kind of interesting to I, look at that on averages.
0: Not to keep sort of digging yeah. into this, but of course it's sort of the natural tendency. But I did sort of find myself thinking about individual differences and what people might be more likely to be impacted by mood yeah. because I know i i love gloomy days and of course that's that's just the nature of research we're talking about people on an average um but it is something to think about what is it about me that i really enjoy gloomy days and i might be more likely to post a snap of the rain and say oh yeah i like this
1: yeah that's true i like rain but after it gets to grayness in like a week or two in a row then i start to really want some sunshine but i i do think some of it i i am used to i I grew up in a place where there was a lot of sunshine, so mm. <laughs> rain too,
0: plenty of rain. But yeah, And of course, as our listeners know, I grew up in the, the cold north. Yes, that's <laughs> yes. right. Someone even commented on the way I pronounce Fargo in yes. the recent episode, <laughs> which I really enjoyed, so I didn't know I said it any differently, which was fun because I think that was our episode on uh, dialects, so mm-hmm. yeah, it was <laughs> a prime example right in the episode. Uh, so four articles we've covered today, uh, our tribute episode to the to the great folks over at Trends Like These. Um we traditionally do a Pearl of Wisdom. They traditionally do an internet Wi-Fi. I think we're going to do both, but they're going to sort of be combined. Um, my Pearl of Wisdom for this week is really uh, similar to the take-home point that we've tried to send today and that maybe Travis and Brent would tell you as well, which is, although it can be consumed, time-consuming, it can use a little bit of effort, but it it is worthwhile to dig into these headlines and really think about where are the conclusions that the author is writing about coming from and really what does that mean? That would be my pearl of wisdom for the day.
1: Well said, I think that's excellent. I, I certainly I think of all the things as an educator that are important to me. And 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 a lot of the time we're teaching content that gets updated and changes. Mm-hmm. But something that I hope is the importance of really critically evaluating, thinking about sources and kind of shaping your opinions based on that. so Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Then our Y5 of the week. Yes. Uh, So So
1: they do Y5s, which is basically an internet high five mm -hmm. to someone who's done something great.
0: And I think for this week, we're actually going to maybe predictably uh, send our Y5 to Travis and Brent themselves because of the way that we admire the way that really the work and the effort in the really... I mean, I think they're doing something good by taking these headlines, breaking them down in a way that's really consumable and uh, really helps pe- to get people thinking about uh, what what is their past, that article, title, or headline that was really designed to be clicked. What does it really mean? What's the story behind it?
1: And I also want to give them Y5s for uh, tweeting about, it was World Mental Health Day mm-hmm. yesterday, and they both had tweets. I'm going to read them because I they think mm-hmm. they're really helpful. This is from brent at Floss. it's world mental health day i've dealt with symptoms of cyclothymia hypomania anxiety brains are weird let's break the stigma so i appreciate brent being open again about his struggles and, and working towards breaking the stigma and then travis who is at travis mcelroy he tweeted a thread it's world mental health day i know how hard it is this is what the thread says, it's not talking for myself, how hard it can be to deal with the stigma. I was diagnosed with ADD at nine and spent the next 13 years embarrassed and secretive about it. He then goes on to talk about other personal details of his life. It's it's worth looking about that And and says it's important to take care of yourself and talk to someone. And medication, he points out, has helped him and... Also, therapy has helped him. And this is something that he's open about on his podcast, too. Mm -hmm. And I think it's great because there are a lot of people listening to both of them and and kind of shows that it's a healthy part of maintenance and breaks down that stigma. So, Brent and Travis?
0: Wi Fi. I wasn't quite ready on the queue there, but I enjoyed it. All right, Katie. Anything else for this week before I go into our closing spiel? Nope. All right. As always, folks, thank you so much for listening in. Uh, If you enjoyed Jedi Council, check out some of the other great shows on the Geek Therapy Podcast Network. There's a whole bunch of great shows on there. Um, All run or hosted by mental health professionals from various backgrounds and who have various interests that cover various topics. And I think they're all worthwhile to listen to. Uh, If you like Jedi Council, we'd just absolutely appreciate it if you would take... 15 seconds and leave us a review on iTunes. That means so much to us. Uh, We do have a new one, I think, or maybe two new ones since the last time that we read them on air. So we're due to do that again. Um, Definitely worthwhile. We want to say thanks to those folks who take the time to give us that feedback because it means so much. In addition, we're still uh, running our Patreon page where we're attempting to fund The Rick and Morty Podcast. The goal would be for that podcast, just to get some additional funding, running podcasts, costs a little bit of money, and we really want to go through Rick and Morty and break down each episode and talk about the underlying mental health or psychology. Folks really seem to like the episodes on Rick and Morty that we did already, and we want to cover the entire series. So if you're interested in supporting the Jedi Council Podcast or the upcoming Rick and Morty Podcast, you can check us out on our Patreon And uh, we've got a whole bunch of cool, interesting kind of rewards for various tiers on there. And uh, last but not least, if there are any characters or topics related to mental health or popular culture that you want to hear us talk about, feel free to send us a tweet or a Facebook message or an email. um, And we will look into those and try to cover them to the best of our ability and consume the media as quickly as we can, which is not always super speedy, but we try to get there. That's all I've got.
1: Thank you for listening.
0: Yes, uh, thank you so much for listening, and you'll hear from us next week.